Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here on another fine day to take your dog for a walk or just stand still and let him sniff. That's cool, too. (laughs) You said it. (laughs) It's beautiful. Oh, we have a great show today. I have with me back for the second time on the show, Patricia McConnell on the phone with us talking about her new book, The Education of Will, a mutual memoir of a woman and her dog. Patricia, welcome back to the Dog Show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's it's my pleasure. Mm. So you kind of look at this like, oh, it's Patricia McConnell, like one of the um, most well-known names in in the world of dog training and behavior. You've written so many wonderful books, The Other End of the Leash. You know, such a a fantastic resource for people and their dogs. And, oh, she's written a memoir. Cool. Mutual memoir of a woman and her dog. Oh, I get to know Patricia a little more personally. I really, I was really looking forward to your book. I mean, before I really knew anything about it, just when I heard it was kind of a, more of a memoir, I, yeah. I was really, you know, looking forward good, to that good, and getting yeah. to know you. And then, <laughs> well, it's uh, certainly nothing changed. It is, um, you know, you talk about a lot of really. Uh, vulnerable and uh, very important topics in in the the realm of being a human on this planet and and being a woman on this planet, and uh, I just really uh, appreciate and applaud your willingness to um, share so much about yourself. Um, that's not easy to do. I, I appreciate that. That's not easy to do, and you're really putting yourself out there. I think. I think. Um, as somebody so well known professionally to sort of cross a not cross a line in a bad way but sort of step into new territory um so just thank you for writing this and and sharing your story i know it will help others and you know talking about topics like ptsd and um and living with dogs and and just all of the stuff that you take on so congratulations and and thank you for writing it Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I do I have worried some that people would pick it up expecting it would it would be very much like my other books. And, you know, just the fact that the cover has handsome Willie looking at you from the front. And, um, but yeah. it is, it is, you are right, it, it, it is about dogs. I talk about Willie, I, uh, who came to me as a very troubled puppy. I talk about my client's dogs. But it's it's at core it's a memoir and it's a memoir about about uh, a dog who rather than coming as a therapist is a dog who helped me heal as so many dogs do a dog who initially actually set me back. Mm-hmm. I mean I thought I was I thought I was I thought I was done I mm. thought I was good I, I thought I'd, yeah. I'd been in therapy I dealt with um, several of the issues that I talk about and. Um, uh, including sexual violence and um, sexual assault, and and then this super reactive, um, incredibly uh, res- 
responsive in a good way, but also hyper-reactive in a problematic way, puppy comes to me. And basically, rather than, than helping me, he sent me back. But ultimately, I give him credit for being the one to really force me to deal with some of the hardest issues that I buried for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, Joy, I didn't start writing it um, to publish it. I did not start writing it as a memoir. I started writing a therapy. There's a lot of really good research that, that all of us, no matter what's happened to you, we all have a past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my sister calls it ROS, real old stuff. Or you could substitute a different word for stuff <laughs> if you're not live on the radio. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we all have stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes we deal with it and sometimes it gets buried. And Willie just, Willie was super sound sensitive. He had a lot of other behavioral problems, including projectile diarrhea, which I'm happy to say I edited all of my descriptions out of that in the book. They were really good. Some of my finest writing, I mean, you know, you were right there, <laughs> but I took those out <laughs> mm-hmm. because readers begged me to, please. I don't want to smell it. Honestly, I don't. But he had a lot of behavioral problems. He was terrified of other dogs and very aggressive towards them. But he had this startle response. So a butterfly would fly somewhere in China, and he would <laughs> leap up off the ground barking, and his startle response set off my startle response, mm-hmm. and it became... It became truly problematic until I finally sat down and said, basically made a commitment to him that in order to heal you, I've got to heal myself. Mm-hmm. So you went through the process of, of writing the book, and I understand that you didn't necessarily set out to write this book and, pub, you know, to write this memoir and publish it. Um, but, but, you know, you're, you're writing and, and you're with, with, the, with your process and, um, you know, intimately focused on these parts of yourself and, and how they're impacting your life and all this kind of stuff and in your process of healing. And the book is, uh, is being released, I think, on the 20th. Uh, no. The, is it, it, was it, it yesterday? Yeah, it came out February 21st. 21st. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's out. And it's out in audio, too. And if I could just... Put a plug in for Ellen Archer, who read it, who has become a friend of mine. She's read all of my audio of books that went to audio. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah. And so the audio version came out, too. I'm cool. Yeah. Um, so now how long have you been talking publicly about this book? It's just been released. Um, about, a, about two days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. so it's, 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 this is a new part of the process, but I'm curious how you feel and, and now, you know, that you're, I mean, I think it's one thing to, to write and, and go through, uh, you know, a healing process of, of um, you know, past trauma and to share with, with your community. And then it's another thing to, to talk to the world, you know, to, to the general public and sort of expose yourself on that level and so how do you feel now? Yeah, you're so right that it is so different. You know, um, at first when I was five and a half, six years ago, I think, when I first started writing about some of the events mm-hmm. in my past, I couldn't even type some of the words. I mean, I couldn't even type them. I couldn't. It took me years to be able to say some words out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't even type them. And 
It is indeed very therapeutic, at least it certainly was for me. I'm a, a testament to a lot of the research. Um, I actually say in the book that it's almost like using sandpaper. If you mm-hmm. write about them, and, and, and you know, I don't need to tell you, everybody who, who writes out there knows that you write, and then you edit, and then you edit, and then you edit, and then you edit. And, yeah. you know, I think every page of this book has been edited lit- literally, and I'm not making this up, probably 50-plus times. Yeah. Um, and it's like using sandpaper, is, is that eventually all of the grit goes away, and it just sort of smooths out. So in one sense, all the writing and editing over all the years that I did has helped tremendously. But you are right, the switch from writing um, and then talking about it to my friends. I didn't, I didn't, my friends didn't know. People who knew me really well um, didn't know a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And so just, just talking to them about it sort of started. So my first actual public talk was, well, I gave a radio interview um, on the Larry Mueller show, and that was the first time I said it out loud. And um, I have to tell you, I was very nervous, and afterwards I felt like this huge weight had gone off of my shoulders. I felt so relieved. And so I do get nervous, um, and I'm speaking in my hometown tonight, so I'm particularly yeah. nervous. Well, my friends are going to be there. It's like being at your own funeral, you know. <laughs> Always yeah. harder to do stuff in front of your friends, isn't it? Well, especially this type of, As, Yeah, you know. so it's, you know, yeah. it's a very personal, intimate book. Um, and so, yeah, so I do get nervous. But I have to tell you, I also feel so empowered. And that's, that's what this book gave me. And that's what Willie gave me, mm-hmm. is he forced me to get past that fear and to face it and to or face the shame and allow myself to be vulnerable. And it's, it's, you have to do it in the right context. You have to do it with a support system. You can't just sort of blurt out at the wrong time something very private and intimate and traumatic that happened to you. Right. But it is so liberating. And I do, I have, you can hear my voice, right? I feel so empowered. Good. It feels good. It feels really, really good. I, I, I had several goals when I wrote this, when I decided to, turn this book into a memoir. I spent the last two years working on this book, turning what I had written into a memoir, maybe three. Um, Turns out memoirs are very hard to write and for everybody, and then writing a mutual memoir of a person and a dog. Mm -hmm. Why did I choose to do that? But it, it, yeah, it was sort of tricky, but, um, but my goals were one, um, to help myself, and then there were a few books I read, After Silence, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, um, that had a profound effect on me, just transformative. And I know that word is overused, but it's just, you know, there are things that change your life, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. in a really good way. And I felt like, and I still do, if this book could help one person yeah. as much as other books help me, mm-hmm. it's worth the six years yep. to get it out. Yep. I, I um, yeah I get that. My other goal was was about dogs and yeah. other animals. Is that is that I want to spread the word that animals, mammals at least, they they could be psychologically traumatized and they need compassion. They need understanding. And I've done some um, some work with the SPCA on 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 this and um, 
they need a lot of the same things that people do. You know, we can't talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they have PTSD. We can't ask them, are you having flashbacks? Yeah. But we know they can be psychologically traumatized. And I'm appalled to hear that a lot of the force-based, coercion-based training is becoming increasingly popular. Um, not not just from, from the show of He Who Shall Not Be Named, but um, but also... Just lately, just, you know, even in Madison, Wisconsin, there's some national chains that are getting a lot of attention. They have a lot of money and advertising behind them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of force and compulsion still in training, and a lot of times it's to animals who have been psychologically traumatized, who need compassion and understanding and patience, just like people do. Yeah. So you, this... There's so much that this brings up, and I love um, uh, I love that about about kind of dogs in general because they, you know, you can relate so much of of uh, of being the the experience of being a human, you know, the emotional experience of being a human. Dogs really sort of oh, we could talk about that in, in relationship to this, you know, within this context or that context. And one of the things that I really um, focus on a lot with working with dogs and people. And we, we share that love of working with both species. There's uh, a lot of people who work with dogs who don't like to work with people. Right. I, right. I, you know, you, you said you talked about sort of being a translator and I, I totally get that. Um, but one of the things that I really love and you certainly speak to um, is for me in in working with dogs and talking about balancing masculine and feminine styles and, and energies, especially in the context of leadership, and you and and I mean, feminine power is not something that's even really defined in our culture because femininity is equated with weakness. You said in your book, um, my father, a deeply conservative banker, believed for most of his life that women had no business interfering in a man's world. One night, as I sat with my parents and my two older sisters at dinner, he carefully explained to us that women could never be promoted into an administration position at a bank because they couldn't be trusted to make good decisions. It's because of their monthlies. Right. Uh, You know, women can be secretaries and teachers. That's fine because women are nurturing and supportive. Those positions don't require them to be assertive or make difficult t- decisions. Right. So, and I'm kind of like, um, those monthlies created your ass. So don't talk to me about women's lack of ability. <laughs> but yeah, I, well, I, I'm yeah, curious yeah. to know what what did you think about that as you are? Uh, were you a young adolescent at that time? Yeah, that was in. That would have been probably. That was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11, 12. This was in the late 50s. Um, And, you know, I'm old. (laughs) I've been around a while. And the world has changed so much it's hardly recognizable. Mm -hmm. You know, um, as I write, I think in the memoir somewhere, is that, you know, when I was growing up, women made babies and um, dinner and men made shopping malls. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and big deals. And I mean, there was no question of being, for example, a veterinarian. Right. There were no women veterinarians. To my father's credit, and I must give him credit, 
years later, after um, after I was a young woman, I was in my late 20s, and I was on my own, looking for a job, creating my own life, and, and, and I talked to him, and he got it. Mm. He got it, and I, it was because of his daughters. Yeah. And he started thinking about, well, you know, we only hire women as tellers in the bank, and we, you know, we pay them pin money because, of course, their husbands can support them, right? Right. And he started, he changed. He, he totally turned around, and he fought. He mentored women in administration. Anyway, so he, he evolved. Cool. <laughs> Yay, my dad. Yeah. Yay, my dad. But it was a very different world. And, you know, I remember year, decades later, actually, here in Madison, Wisconsin, still a long time ago, being basically sexually harassed by somebody at work and telling the chairman of the board of the place that I worked, and he said, oh, you know, boys will be boys. Yeah. You know, boys will be boys. And, and that, you know, it's, and I, you know, I, I don't need to tell everybody listening, is this, this, is, this is an issue that's highly relevant right now. Uh, yeah. It's highly relevant. Yeah. yeah it really is. Well, it's you. Sexual assault, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, you talked a lot about your, you know, uh, of your three, of the three girls, you had two sisters, um, you were sort of designated as the pretty one and, mm-hmm. and um, sort of the pressure of that, your, um, you know, your struggles with anorexia in your teens and also about, you know, really clear messages from your mother about, um, you know, yes, yes, you're the pretty one, but, but lessons about, you said in your book, lessons about being pretty became more complex. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was important to be beautiful, but there were dangers associated with it and that she repeatedly told you the story of how a workman holding a carpet knife had admired a recent photograph of you and she, she said he kept looking at you and holding that knife. It was awful. And it's kind of like, you know, and I think a lot of women can can relate to this because it's sort of the message is like our, our value is in being attractive, but that is but being attractive is also dangerous. So it's like da- it, it we're kind of like it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. yeah. I, was just, I was thinking of exactly that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is this is a complete aside. It's just an amusing factoid. The name of the man who took that picture is Nick Nolte. Huh. Nick Nolte was a starving actor in Phoenix, Arizona, when I was in, in trying to be a model. And I was a model. I was a runway model. I was terrible at it, by the way. I have short, stubby legs. I look like a Scottish peasant. <laughs> I'm the opposite of... But, but nonetheless, I was very young. Mm. <laughs> um, and I was skinny. And um, so we needed a photographer to take pictures for me for my modeling career. And this starving actor who was who was making money on the side. Um, he took some beautiful photographs. He was really nice. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Anyway, that was the picture. I'll put it up on Facebook sometime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the messages are, are very mixed. And I think they're still mixed. And I think they're also and this is very important to me, I think they're I think they're mixed for men too. Oh sure. And I think it's really important us to be aware of what we are telling men, you know, and what men are learning is in order to be a real man, mm-hmm. you have to be polite, but you also have to have conquest, you know, in order to be a real man, you have to put notches in your belt, um, mm-hmm. you know, right? Oh, right? yeah. 
Well, my wife and I just watched a documentary, and I wish I remembered the name of it because it was excellent. And it was about, um, you know, the the pressures of of um, that men feel, t- and and you know, we our culture thinks. First of all, I think the fundamental definitions of masculine and feminine need a little work, but we think men need to men equals masculine woman equals feminine and and what's true is that we all hold our own unique combination of of the two you know qualities of energy and that men are really robbed of the um freedom to express emotion and and their um you know those qualities that we might that we might see under the category of feminine because you don't want to be like a woman because that's the worst, right? If you're right. a guy. Yeah, how weak that would be, right? You don't want to be weak. No, um, but how? And you know, yeah, the, I was, go, on, go on. No, just that they suffer as a result. They do. They do. I think I feel very sorry for a lot of young men. I think they're feeling disempowered. I think they're feeling um, confused about who they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that we that I mean, think about think about how we do not do that with dogs. You know, how many how many people do you know who said, like, you know, my male dog is, like, the sweetest, cuddliest, <laughs> right, <laughs> most yeah. nurturing, yeah. you know? It's, you know, we don't do that to dogs. We don't lay that on them. And, mm-hmm. of course, people are dogs and dogs are people. But nonetheless, I think sometimes our baggage does not serve us well. Isn't it kind of interesting that it's almost the reverse with dogs? It's like the the, uh, from my perspective, the females are the ones you need to look out for more than the males when it comes to, like, kind of power. Not in a bad way, but, I mean, I'd, I'd much rather work with a, male, a difficult male dog than a difficult female dog. Females pack a punch. Well, I've said for years there's a reason bitch is a dirty word. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. However, um, we, well, we could just, there's just all kinds of sociology we could talk about for hours yeah, here because... You know, because yes, um, you know, a lot of female mammals can be grumpier. I mean, look at mares. You know, mares are famous for being a little bit more difficult. You bring a new um, a new individual into the herd, for example, often mares that are causing the problem. But but again, you know, there are all these sort of layers over what's being powerful and what's being rude or you know bitchy or unacceptably powerful anyway. So I think this is partly why we love dogs, though, is because a lot of those complications, <laughs> we don't worry as much about those things when we're lying on the living room floor with their yeah. heads nestled into our neck and we're rubbing their belly, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the things that, you, that was really clear throughout the book was how you, it, it seemed like how fulfilling it has been and is for you to bring to be a voice for dogs who are communicating very loudly but silently that they don't want to be touched yeah. and that and that you know people are like oh you know blah 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 he's fine oh i love it blah 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 and the dog's like oh please give me some time you know and we just sort of force ourselves upon them and you are like this is what your dog like. You're you're able to express that in a way that you know helps the the humans that the dog lives with understand him or her and give them yeah. the space not to feel violated. I really it took me a while. I had to learn with clients how hurt they would be 
people really felt hurt and they felt like I didn't like their dog mm. if I wasn't all over them. And, you know, I learned right off how important it was to say something good about their dog. I mean, the, the, there are very few dogs I don't like, but I wouldn't say I loved every dog I've ever met. Yeah. But I always said something good, like, he's got the prettiest tail. Mm-hmm. Look at his tail. What yeah. a great tail. But um, but I would I learned really early on to say right away, I would love to pet Chester right now. There is nothing that would make me happier. Look how cute he is. But do you see how he's sniffing mm-hmm. everywhere and he hasn't come? He hasn't even looked at me yet. And he's sniff, sniff, sniff. Do you see how hard he's sniffing? He's really worried about what he's smelling. So we need to just let him, you know, and then I would go on and disappoint. We just need to let him get his bearings, you know. And then I'd make some human analogy often. Um, and 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 help them understand that that no dogs don't they, they really they really are like people I mean we don't want to be groped and grabbed by somebody we've never met before the second you know right. they walk into the room yeah um, but we do have that expectation of dogs that somehow we should be able to touch them dogs and little children right yeah yeah um, and not very you know but these aren't young you know. Adult dogs are not little children. You know, they're not puppies. You know, they're right. grown-ups. They're adult sentient beings who have a very strong sense of personal space. So yeah. So I just I always felt it was so important not just to not bother the dog, but to explain to the clients why I wasn't, and that that was okay. That their dog is still a wonderful, good dog. It's it's okay that he doesn't want to be petted for the first ten minutes. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, don't come up and start putting your hands all over my body. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care how many times we've met. (laughs) I think Julie would bite you. (laughs) (laughs) I have I have threatened that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, and then poor dogs, like God forbid they they would, you know, the only way they have to express, you know, hey, give me some space would be to growl or snap maybe, and then it's like, Oh, that's bad, you know, bad dog. Right. It's aggressive. Yeah. Right. It needs to be disciplined. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. People are really something else. Lovely. Well, we are very interesting. Lovely, species. but we are something very, else. very complicated, <laughs> interesting species. Yeah. I will say that for it. So, you you know, you, you really go through their, really in detail, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, the, the energy and time, <clears throat> and not just uh, behaviorally, but also medically, with, with Willie and, oh, my gosh, and it's one thing after the other, and you're just feeling like, oh, man, I just want to, like, have, I just want to relax with my dogs, you know? And um, and there was a, a, a moment, w- and you um, sort of spoke to this a little bit earlier. There was a kind of it seemed like a moment where you were, like, kind of thinking, I, I don't know if I'm, a good fit for this dog. I think well, there were a lot of moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like about to load him up into the car and you're like, I really, I really don't, I, I really need to like maybe accept that. I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, and then there was something, it seemed like um, in that moment in the book anyway, where you really actually got, how you two are similar in a way that you not only understood him, but also really got, oh, man, I, I need some help. I need to help myself. I, I'm really struggling. 
Yeah, I actually, um, I did really struggle because um, he had a lot of severe behavioral problems, and he was creating a lot of behavioral problems for me. I mean, I a lot of my PTSD symptoms came back. I mean, I wasn't sleeping, and um, uh, a lot of my flashbacks, and, and I, I love one of the phrases of, uh, in, in medical terminology for PTSD is, quote, frightening thoughts. <laughs> mm. Well, I had a lot of frightening thoughts, and, and yeah. a lot of them came back, and, um, you know, um, I was really afraid to go into dark, into dark rooms, which is really common. I, and, I mean, I got to the point where if I was alone, and it was night, there were a couple of nights, and I, I have a hard time saying this because I feel so awful, but there, <laughs> there were some times I didn't even feed my sheep that night. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to go in the bar and get the hay. And, yeah. You know, how awful does that feel, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I was like, okay, this is just not tenable. Um, and I talked to my staff about it. And, you know, I, it, it's not like I don't know how to deal with a dog who's fearfully aggressive to other dogs and super sound reactive. You know, I mean, I did write the book after all. Right, literally. So, you know, I, I knew what to do. I was doing it. Um, but it, it was a huge cost to me to do it. And I... And I decided with my staff, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work another X number of months, and I'm going to see how we do. Um, and then if I can't get this turned around in not too much more time before he's too much older, I'm going to rehome him and find him a new home. And I, and that was the plan. Um, and I left the office, and I had him with me, and he had had major shoulder surgery and couldn't jump into the car. So I hauled this huge, unwieldy ramp out, and I hauled the ramp up, and told him to sit and stay, stay there while I got the ramp up. And I turned to look at his face, Julie, and it was just, oh, Willie's face is amazing. It's one of the most expressive dogs I've ever had. And his face was just so full of impulse and desire and and wanting to be the best dog anybody could be. And and just, it was so hard for him to stay. And, And I just looked at him and I thought, I know this dog. I know this dog like I know myself. Mm-hmm. Dog who wants to be the best he could be but have all these demons inside of it. And I literally I just said okay Willie, I'm going to fix me. Mm. I'm going to fix me <clears throat> and we're going to fix our, you know, we're going to fix this together. Yeah. So that's that's what we did. And and the good news um, you don't have to get to the end of the book to discover is that Willie is 10. He's really happy. He's a wonderful dog. He's a really happy dog. He can meet your dog on the street and be lovely and incredibly polite. Loves to run and play with other dogs. I still have to manage him. Yeah. I would never put him in a tiny little room and let three male <laughs> Labradors run at him and put him in a corner. No doggy daycare for Willie. No doggy daycare for <laughs> Willie. Yeah. No. You know, but what? You know, there are a lot of things Trisha doesn't do either. Yeah. There are movies that we're just never going to see. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's okay. That's all right. We're really happy. We're really good. And um, very lucky. I feel, I mean, I've had so much support. I had two two great therapists. I have an amazing husband and a tremendous amount of support. And I never could have done it without him. Yeah. But I do, I want people to know there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Do you think that that these um, struggles would have uh, sort of come to the surface again if you hadn't had Willie? No. No? I don't. I don't. And I would have been okay. I mean, I functioned, right? I had a 
relatively productive career. I think I've helped quite a few dogs, mm-hmm. and I've written some books that people seem to like. And, mm-hmm. you know, I taught really, if in my own words, a really great class at the university for 25 years. Yeah. But I had a really great life. Um, but I never would have gone an extra step. You know, I never would have mm-hmm. forgiven myself and felt the sense of authenticity and peace that I feel now if it hadn't been for Willie. I think that that is such a great example of um, sort of, I know for myself, of, of faith, of the cycle of, of breakdown, breakthrough, and to know in times that feel so hard that oftentimes around the corner with, you know, with the intention that this be the case and, and, and a lot of work and support and, you know, kind of wading through that, that muddy water that it, it actually, you can end up even better than you were before the hard stuff started. You know, that cycle seems to, seems to happen. Um, and certainly when we intend it to, and it's, it's really always nice to be reminded of that. I think, I think the person who does it best is Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote Daring Greatly. She wrote um, several other books. She's, got, she's one of those, like, how many million people have watched her TED Talks, right, yeah. about shame and about vulnerability. And um, I think nobody addresses that better, that, again, you don't want to just be blurting out something that's incredibly personal, intimate, and difficult for you in the wrong context. But, but... It is so true that that real strength is in being vulnerable. You know, she says the derivation of the word vulnerable is able able to be wounded, mm-hmm. meaning meaning you are resilient, yeah. <laughs> meaning it will not destroy you if you are wounded. And you know, she talks so eloquently about about how we so much in, admire vulnerability in others, and yet see it as a weakness in ourselves. And yet, if we have strength to forgive ourselves and to be compassionate about our humanity, then we can see it as a strength in ourselves too. Yeah. And how important it is to take shame out of the, you know, yeah. out of the darkness. It's, yeah. you know, it's like an abiotic organism. I mean, it just feels its deeds in the dark. And when you put, when you shine the light out on it, it's like, you know, putting something out in the sun and killing the bacteria because of yeah. the sunshine. I mean, it really is, we're just so hard on ourselves, Julie, don't oh, you think? Okay. We're oh. just all so hard on ourselves. Oh, we are. <laughs> we are. It's true. So. Uh, now, I was, you know, reading through the book, and <clears throat> at one point I, you know, sort of, <gasps> and then called to my wife across the house. She did the Hoffman process. Oh, you did it too. Uh, I didn't, but uh, my wife did, and I she also it. wanted me to tell you that she says hi and that she's a big fan of your work. Oh, and say hi back. I and will. I love that she did it. It was a wonderful thing. My yeah. one of my first therapists recommended I do it. Mm-hmm. And um I highly recommend it. It was just great for me. Yeah. Now you um so interesting. Gosh, you should see the pages and pages that I have here. Um so so much really interesting stuff. This is an excellent book. It's called The Education of Will and it's by Patricia McConnell. A Mutual Memoir of a Woman and Her Dog, on sale as of yesterday. 
It's called The Education of Will. And um, I find the digestive system so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the enteric nervous system, um, which lives in our intestines and communicates with our brains on a moment-by-moment basis. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, the physiology of that is, I mean, heaven to just, you know, talk about that and under, and contemplate that and understand that. And I know, I think it's the, we have more serotonin receptors in our gut that we do, I think, in our brain. Is that right? Is that true? I didn't know that. How cool is that? I think it's serotonin. I think Isn't I'm getting that right. Isn't it amazing that we have really discovered relatively recently that we have neurons in our gut? Yeah. And that our speech, the thing I love the most about it, well, there are a lot, but one of the things I love about it is that our speech and language has reflected this knowledge as if we knew, because we talk about a gut feeling. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, where did that? That's not random, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, just, I find that absolutely fascinating. And have you, I'm sure part of the reason you're bringing this up is I know you work with a lot of dogs with a lot of behavioral issues for many years. Mm-hmm. Have you found that, that there seems to be a correlation, at least, between dogs who have digestive trouble um, especially diarrhea as a young dog, mm-hmm. and um, behavioral problems, especially fear-related. You know, I have probably the, one of the most clear cases of that who I just met last week, a yeah. German Shepherd. He's now five and a half. We just met him. Extreme, I mean, he's a German Shepherd, but even as an individual, extremely sensitive emotionally, energetically. Yeah. The way that this dog grieves is I just want to put him in my heart and just hold oh. him there. I mean, oh. oh man, what a what a boy. Um but and he his gut is it's like stress, he gets excited, he he plays too hard. He gets you know, oh, he gets too excited or stressed out, boom, diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And it's been like it's it has been a challenge for him from the get-go. And we've just had an initial session, so we're really looking forward to working with him. Uh, uh, holistically looking at all the aspects of, of his being and, and trying to get him um, and his his um, owner a, a better quality of life and having kind of an easier time of it. But, oh, oh what a sensitive boy. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. So, yes, that and, and this one of the most clear, I mean, and, uh, you know, probably most extreme cases. So Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I'm happy that they found you. Yeah, so so are we. Thank you. Um, I just have to say, I don't know why I got such a kick out of Barbie the U. <laughs> she was she was something. <laughs> I mean, the name it just feel. Oh my gosh, Barbie and but Barbie would tell you. You said right away if your dog had what it took to work sheep. She did job interviews in an instant, correctly reading a dog's confidence or lack of it in one glance. Isn't that amazing? Oh yeah, sheep are so good at reading dogs. And dogs are really good at reading sheep, you know. There's just no question about it. And it's, you know, the, the um, sometimes you can see very obvious physical manifestations of that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a you with her head straight down, and she stomps her foot, and she's leaning forward. But then they're just like dogs and people. There's lots and lots of very subtle indicators. Just the tiniest shift forward, right, mm-hmm. you know, or a you who just turns her head a half an inch to the side mm-hmm. and like, yeah, you know, the dog's like taken over. Yeah. So, but, but there are times you even trained, I would guess, even trained canine behavior experts, 
we still can't see anything, and they figure it out. They, you know, one one of the things that I was told, I don't know that it's true, but I believe that it's true, is that a really good sheepdog on their outrun when they're running a big, huge, wide semicircle around to the back of the flock, which could be, you know, two, three, four, five, six, eight hundred yards away from you. Yeah. As they're running, you'll see them. They keep glancing in to see where the sheep are. And I always thought at first it was just to see where the sheep are. Um, but but I've been told by people who know far more than I do about sheepdogs, they're also looking to see who the lead you is. Yeah. Who's the leader? You know, who do I need to pay most attention to? Right. Yeah, yeah. So they're figuring that out, if that's true, and I suspect that it really is. So, they're, you know, they're running, right, at a dead run at 28-whatever miles an hour, mm. and they're, a hundred, they're yards and yards away, and they're still finding it. And that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, we've, one of these years, we've got to get you out to the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. Oh, I hear so much about it. It's so wonderful. I fell in love with the event several years ago and have worked with uh, the coordinator in just promoting it and just putting some energy into it because I love it so much. And I love, I really recommend to my clients who don't have border collies or sheep, most of them, um, to go and observe and witness one of the oldest examples of the human dog working relationship and, mm. and, and to see the, 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 the quality of communication and the partnership that's there and, and oh my gosh, and then go home and look at your dog and think of how you can work with your dog and give your dog a job to do. And, and um, it is, yeah. it is inspiring mm. and, and it's addictive. I have to tell you, once you start, it's like this level of, it's just, it's, it deepens the level of communication and it's, when it goes well, it's like, I don't know, a drug hit or something. It's yeah. like so amazingly wonderful. I remember the first, one of my first inspirations to get into dog training is I went just as a naive observer to a sheepdog trial, and it was a break, and everybody let all of their dogs out on this field, and the field was not that far from a road. And there were over 100 dogs running loose, running around, crazy, close to a, a, a road with cars going really, really fast. Nobody was worried. Nobody's worried about their dogs. Everybody's dog came when called. And I grew up, you know, in a suburb where, where you would never let your dog off of a leash. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, in a situation like that, and, then, and I was just astounded. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. And it, yeah. And but then the level of teamwork and coordination and communication required to to get a really good run on a trial course, it's something. It is really something. Yeah. Very cool. You talked a lot about stories and both relating actually to people and dogs. And I love that you bring up like, hey, careful about the stories you're telling about your dog. Um, but as relating to you, you said, if I am no longer the woman whose life is scripted by a series of traumas, then who am I? Mm-hmm. And the um, the sort of way that we can limit ourselves being attached to stories and that fine line of telling stories to heal, but then also being careful, I guess, about what we perpetuate. Yeah, well said. I mean, you summed it up really, really well, Julie, is that stories both center us and ground us, but they also create boundaries mm-hmm. that sometimes we need to break out of. And it was, it was, it was really scary for me um, to, to sort of try and envision a different me, you know, there was this, 
you know, we all have our life story, and we become not even necessarily conscious of it, but we be, we become very attached to it, and and getting rid of it and creating a new one is indeed it can be really scary. It yeah. really can. It can take some guts to decide that you want to rewrite your story, um, but with help um, and the right support system, you can do it. There's another use of that word. It takes some guts. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go. And then also about, you know, stories about our dogs can define them, giving them a history and an identity. Um, But it can also frame our expectations and can also fold our dogs inside boxes that limit their potential. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, it's a fine line because, as I write in the book, um, it's a good thing I know Willie's story because I don't set him up in situations where he gets, slammed into a corner by, you know, a pack of dogs in right. a daycare or something. It would be a nightmare for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we, they, you know, they can be limiting. Um, you know, we can restrict and restrain them too much sometimes. If you, you probably run into this. Is, is somebody who's um, new to dogs, sort of naive to reading dog behavior, reaches towards a dog and pets it, who you know is fearful and is, you, that you would never reach towards and pet, right? Oh, yeah, I hold, <laughs> I hold my breath. I'm like, ooh. But the other person is like, so, like, it's good, I'm fine, you know, and there's no sense of tension between the dog and that person. The dog's like, well, then it must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know? I know. So, it yeah, is. it is a fine line. It really is. Yeah. Um, well, I have promised to let you go. At, Thank you. Yes, because yeah. you are off to uh, to give a talk about I, your book. I am. Yeah. I'm off to a great indie bookstore, Room of One's Own in Madison, Wisconsin, to give a talk tonight in my hometown of Madison. And then I fly out at dark 30 tomorrow morning to Columbus to speak in Ohio. Cool. Yeah. Well, but I'm so grateful, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking with you. Thank you. My pleasure. It was my pleasure to have you back. Thank you again for writing this book. It's called The Education of Will a mutual memoir of a woman and her dog by Patricia McConnell on sale now. And when we come back from break, I will tell you when she's going to be in Seattle and I can't wait to meet you in person. Thanks so much, Julie. All right. You have a great night tonight. I look forward to meeting you too. Bye. (laughs) So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. I'm going to tell you when Patricia McConnell will be here in Seattle. Right when we come back from break, you're listening to the dog show with Julie Forbes. I'll take a dog's life. Son, I'll take a dog's life Cause I don't care for this one Chasing trains and planes and rain Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country. But if you live in western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Anti-Icky Poo, the product that gets the stink out, we cover the world of animals. 
This week, June 11th, it's Harmonic Energy Shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from Whispering Dragon Center in Seattle. They'll be in the studio with their Acutonic Forks, Tibetan Bowls and Bell, Pua Dig and Rattle, ready to do remote sessions for you, your animal friends, your home or business. Open phone lines throughout the show. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We were just talking with Patricia McConnell about her new book, The Education of Will, released yesterday, which was February 21st. Um, And it's on sale now, and it's excellent. And Patricia McConnell, if you, I mean, most people, at least who are in the dog world, know her name very well. She's one of the most well-known names in the world of dog training and behavior. She's written a lot of really great books and you know, talks and courses and all this sort of stuff. And um, and then this book is really a memoir, uh, a mutual memoir of, of her and her dog, Willie, um, a border collie, and how her struggles with him really challenged her to look at the ways, the similar ways that she really struggles in life, um, specifically with post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of a number of different traumas uh, that she experienced that she goes into in, in depth in her book. And um, it's a really, it's a great read. It's an important, these are important topics to talk about. Um, uh, silence is, is a killer. Um, I think, and especially with, with topics like rape, sexual assault, um, you know, it's important that we bring voice to these um, and especially in a way that promotes healing. So I, I applaud her efforts and her courage in letting us see these more personal, vulnerable parts of herself, especially as such a well-respected person in her profession. So she's going to be here March 1st next week in Seattle um, at Third Place Books, 7 p.m., that's the third place books in Lake Forest Park, just north of Seattle. Patricia McConnell will be talking about her book, The Education of Will. Of course, books will be on sale there. She'll be doing a book signing and a talk. And I will certainly be there, and I look forward to meeting her. That is uh, Wednesday, March 1st at 7 p.m. at Third Place Books in Lake Forest Park. Patricia McConnell. Uh, be sure to check that out. 
Wanted to let you know about the uh, coupon code that we have for our listeners for Farm Dog Naturals. So excited because I finally reordered some more of their relief uh, cleaner. It's a household cleaner. It's amazing. And uh, we've been out of it for a little while. It's just one of those things. I was talking about it for a few weeks on the show before I finally just ordered more. So I'm excited to get that uh, 15% off your order with the coupon code DOGRADIO, one word. And uh, farmdognaturals.com is their website. Their products are awesome. We are not without them in our home, at least not for very long. Uh, The Vashon Sheepdog Trials, mark your calendar, June 8th through 11th. Temple Grandin is coming out. We are bringing her out to the trials this year. So exciting. She was just... um, inducted or I don't know if she's actually inducted yet but it was announced that she's inducted in the National Women's Hall of Fame very cool she's a really amazing person I've had her on the show a couple times over the years she's going to be out in um for the Vashon Sheepdog Trials this year doing a talk Saturday night June 10th on uh understanding animal behavior and also will be at the trials on Sunday so stay tuned for how to pre-order your tickets for both of those because you're going to want to get your tickets in advance, um, certainly for the talk on Saturday night. And I would really recommend if you're planning on coming to the trials on Sunday that you buy your tickets in advance because we may have to turn people away, which we would hate to have to do. Um, so be sure to check that out. VashonSheepdogClassic.com is that website. The Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show is coming up in just a couple weeks. You can go to seattledogshow.org for more information about that. And, uh, you know, it's just a fantastic interview. I love doing this. And uh, Patricia McConnell, our first conversation is in our archives. Um, So you can certainly search for that on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can go to iTunes as well and download it for free. And uh, this interview will be posted, as all of our interviews are, on our Facebook page. Just uh, go to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Become a fan of us on Facebook if you haven't already. And that's another way that you can listen to our shows archived. Lots of easy ways to listen from wherever you're listening from around the world. If you would like us to send you a Dog Show car sticker... Um, email me, host at dogradioshow.com, and just send me uh, send me your address and how many you want, and I'll get them out to you. Eric, enjoy this now very sunny, beautiful Seattle day. And you too. Thank you. And I will look forward to going outside and taking my dogs for a walk. We'll be back next Wednesday live at 2 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. been listening to the dog show with julie forbes wednesday afternoons at two on alternative talk 11 50 a.m never miss another episode listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on itunes or soundcloud eric people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges i can only imagine oh yeah dogs jumping on guests new puppy questions behavioral challenges like fear and aggression even dog food sensitivities. You name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? 
Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) 